Well, I didn't do this before, but I would like to uh, wish you all a happy New Year's. A few days late, I know we're already a week into 2024, and that is rather mind-blowing to me. Uh, this is our first time gathering for corporate worship in the new year, and so uh, what I'd like to do is, if, if you've been coming for a while, you know what I'd like to do at the beginning of each year is to kind of look forward to the new year and what that holds for us. And I'm going to tell you at the outset, uh, if, if you have your Bibles, you might go ahead and start opening up to... We have a slew of texts up here. Our main one's going to be Psalm 135, and so I would encourage you to be headed that way. If you don't have time to get all these uh, verses found, we will be uh, having them up on the screen for you as uh, kind of a, a little bit of an aid, I guess you'd say. Uh, but but I, I just want to tell you straight out, I am not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, so I don't know all that 2024 is going to hold. In fact, I don't know anything that 2024 is going to hold that has not already occurred. And you think about what is life going to look like in our own lives, in the life of the church, in the life of this country, in, in, in the world, January 1st, 2025, and really, it's a mystery. When we rang in 2020, we had a New Year's Eve party, and we were all holding up our, our glasses of sparkling juice, and Happy New Year, and you know, everybody was all happy, and none of us had any inkling of what was going to happen come March. I mean, the world can change drastically overnight. And so uh, there, there's going to be some good in the coming year. There's going to be some bad in the coming year. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know that God is in control of it all. He is, uh, he is overall and in all. And there's going to be some, some joy. There's going to be some, some laughter. There's going to be some heartache and disappointment. And it's not going to be all of one or all of the other. Uh, and, and really about the only thing in life that's predictable is that it's unpredictable. So having said all that, there are a few things I want us to remember, a few things I want us to focus on in the coming year, and hopefully these will kind of guide us as we enter into the new year. And the first, uh, we're going to look at these things over the next few weeks. The first thing is what we're going to look at today, and that is God's sovereignty. We need to trust God's sovereignty. Next week I plan, Lord willing, to look at living life free of anxiety. <coughs> but today I want us to look at God's sovereignty. So if you found Psalm 135 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. We're going to read a couple of verses here, and we'll begin jumping to some other places here in just a, minute, just a minute. Psalm 135, beginning in verse 5. He says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. Turn over a few pages, if you would, to Psalm 139. <coughs> the psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Turn to Psalm, uh, Job 42, if you would. Put a cough drop in. I hadn't coughed all morning, but I thought I might, so I put a cough drop in. I think it's making me cough. I'm not sure that's the way that's supposed to work. Uh, Job says in, in Job 42... I know that you can do all things, speaking to and about God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
And then one last passage over in Romans 8.28. You probably know this one by heart. He says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, I want you to turn back to Psalm 135 if you have your Bible open still, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time. And the first truth I want you to grasp today is that God does whatever He pleases. God does whatever He pleases. Now, if you look back at Psalm 135, you'll see that we didn't read the whole psalm. There are uh, several verses there. There are 21 verses. We only read two. But the psalm is really one, it's a psalm of praise. The psalm begins, if you have your Bible open, you can, you can see right at the beginning, he calls people to praise the Lord. At the end of the psalm, he calls people to, to praise the Lord. It is a, it is a praise sandwich, and all in between the, the beginning uh, lines that call people to praise God and the ending lines that call, call people to praise God, he gives reason after reason to praise the Lord. Now, we as parents, you know, and if, if you were a kid, and all of us have been at some point, Sometimes when you get told to do something by your parents, or we as parents, when you told your kids to do something, sometimes there's not a reason given, right? Boy, it really bothered me, and as a parent, I do it myself. But sometimes I'd be told to do something, and what, what was the reason that was given? We'd say, why, and what did your parents say? <coughs> that's the only reason you need, and that's true. The reason that you do something is because your parent tells you to, they're the one in authority, you should do it. Kids, Braddocks, I'm talking to you too. But listen, that's not what the psalmist does. The psalmist says, praise the Lord. He tells us to do something, but then he gives us reasons to do it. And one of the reasons is in verse five, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, he says, the Lord is great. Give, give praise to God. Bless Him, praise Him, worship Him. Why? Because He's great. That means He has all power. He is, the, the, the theological term is, He is omnipotent. He has all power. He has unlimited power. Now, that's not surprising to us, but it is important. If a person has a, a will, a purpose, a desire, a plan, something they want to see accomplished, if they don't have the, the ability to bring that about, all it does is end in frustration for that person. No matter how much they may want to do something, no matter how strongly they desire it, if they don't have the capacity to do it, it's all fruitless. Now, for instance, I may want to dunk a basketball on a standard uh, 10-foot goal. It doesn't matter how much I will that to happen. It doesn't matter how much I want it to happen. It's not going to happen because I don't have the capacity to get this big old body 10-foot up in the air. It ain't going to happen. Now, listen, you may not have any desire to win a slam dunk contest, and that's fine. But we all have things we want to see happen. A relationship restored, a physical ailment uh, to, 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 to have a reversal, a situation in our job improved, um, uh, just, just any number of things we want to see happen. God is not limited in his ability like we are. We, we may want to see those things happen, but we can only do so much to bring that about. We cannot be certain or sure that it's going to happen. But that is not the is, issue with God. If you look at verse 5 again, it says God is great. He can do anything he desires to do. And because of that, verse 5 says, he is above all gods. Now, that's not saying there are actual gods besides the one true God, but it's saying that there are, there are people, there are things that are worshipped as God, even though they're not God. And no matter what that person is, no matter what that thing is, no matter what the object is, the Bible says that God is above all that. 
Because all the false gods of the nations are nothing. They're wood, they're stone, they're the creation of man's hands. And anyone who trusts in them becomes like them. And and the Bible says God's greater than all that. And because of this power, look at verse 6. He does whatever he pleases. Nobody can stop him. Nobody can slow him down. What did Job say? He said, no plan of yours, no desire of yours, no will of yours, no, nothing that you set out to do can be thwarted. That means you are not going to mess up God's will in this world. And that's a relief. Sometimes I, in my earlier uh, walk with the Lord, I would get worried. I, I, I feel kind of stressed because it's like, man, did I, in, in making this decision, if I don't make the right one, am I going to mess everything up for my life? Am I going to mess everything up with what God's doing? Listen, you are not going to undo what God's doing. You're, you are not so powerful that you are going to mess God's plan up in this world. And aren't you glad that that, that person that, that you know, that person that you work with, that person in your family that hates God, they're not powerful enough to, to slow God down either. No purpose, no plan of His can be thwarted. Now somebody might ask, well, does that mean then that nobody can resist His will? Because... We all know times in our own life when we have been reluctant to do what God says. We all know times in our lives when we have sinned. So is this saying that nobody can resist His will? Well, we have to think clearly. Because all the time people resist God's preceptive will. And what I mean by that is God has given us a list of do's and don'ts. You think about the Ten Commandments, that's a good example. And we can resist, we can disobey, we can sin against those things. God says, uh, don't lie. Some of us have lied. All of us have lied. That is a violation of God's commands. That is a sinning against His commands. That is a disobeying or resisting of His will in that area. But there's a difference between His, His will of precept, for lack of a better term, and His will of purpose. There are some things that God says, I'm going to do this... And there is nothing that anybody can do that's going to stop it. And that is the sense that is that's being talked about here. Nobody, you can resist God, you can shake your fist in God's face, you can try to thwart God, you can do all these things, and you are not going to stop, you're not going to slow down, you're not going to derail God's plan and purpose in the world. You think about Jesus. Jesus was sent as the Messiah, and they purposed, they planned to put him to death. Now, on the surface, it would look like that had thwarted God's plan. But the very thing that they did to try and thwart God's plan, fulfill God's plan, in Him offering His life as a sacrifice for the sins of His people. God is going to accomplish certain things in this world, and you're not going to stop Him, I'm not going to stop Him, nobody is. And that's what, that's what His sovereignty is all about. If you look at verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, He does. He rules. He reigns. He has no equal. He is not balanced out as equals with the devil. He is unmatched. He is superlative. He is, his power knows no limits, and his goodness knows no ends. He does whatsoever he pleases. They say, Pastor, that's a nice Sunday thought. It's nice to sit here in church on Sunday morning and say, God does whatever he pleases. We would all probably amen that, at least in our hearts, if not with our lips. But what does that have to do with my daily life? On Monday, when I go to work, when, I, when I'm dealing with my family, what, what does this affect our lives? Well, one application this has is it should give us confidence when we pray. 
It gives us confidence when we pray. Listen, you cannot pray a prayer too big for God. You cannot pray a prayer that's too big for God to answer. You remember when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to be the, the mother of the Lord. She was confused, understandably so, because she'd never been with a man. And she said, how is this going to be? And what, what was the angel's answer? Nothing shall be impossible with God. It doesn't matter how unlikely it is. It doesn't matter how unpopular it is. It doesn't matter what the prognosis is. It doesn't matter how broken the relationship is. God has the power to answer your need and mine. Now, sometimes, like a loving parent, some God, sometimes God tells his children no. And in those times, we may or may not understand. And in those times, we have to trust in his goodness. But we can have confidence when we pray. second application of this, that, that God does whatever he pleases, is that she calls us to praise him. If you'll notice in, in Psalm 135, his sovereignty, his power, his greatness, are as much reason to praise him as his goodness is. It's not just that that God is is a kind and loving, compassionate, heavenly Father, and we should praise Him for that. That's certainly true. But the psalmist says, praise Him because He's he's powerful. Praise Him because He does what He wants. Praise Him because He does whatsoever pleases Him. And, and, And the psalmist prays God and calls us to praise God simply because God does what He pleases. So first, we need to remember, we need to rest in the knowledge that God does whatever He pleases. Second thing I want you to see is that every moment of every day is known to and is ordained by God. Every moment of every day is known to and is ordained by God. Look at Psalm 139. Verses 13 to 16, it's classic text that talks about the sanctity of human life. We didn't, we're, we're not a chance, we're not an accident that God is involved in our creation that he weaves us together in our mother's womb. And it's, it's a classic text for a reason. But I want us to go beyond that, that narrow application, as accurate as it is. And look at verse 16. He says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Now notice what that says. When he says, You have seen my unformed Substance before the child has even begun to form, before the child has even begun to develop, before the child has even begun to to to, to have the cell uh, uh, splitting and replication, all the stuff that happens in the mother's womb. Before any of that happens, God has already ordained. He he already knows all the days that will be part of our life. That means before you ever came into being, every moment of every day of your life was known to God. And now, now understand, this is not just a passive knowledge. Like God is some bystander who's, who's watching all the events of your life and, and He knows what's happening. Now this means that God is actively involved in the minute details of our lives. He is actively involved and in working in your daily life. He's working in your school. He's working in your church. He's working in your family. He's working in your job. He's working in everything to... <clears throat> To bring about His will in your life and in the world. Now, I just want you to kind of process this. What does this mean? Well, this means that God has set the time of your birth and He set the time of your death. 
He has said the, 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 your first breath that you're going to take, and he has said the date of your last breath. And sometimes we speak in, in common parlance of, of an unplanned pregnancy. Well, there's no such thing. Humanly speaking, there, there may be what you might call an oops baby. There may be somebody who's a surprise. But it may be a surprise to us, but it's not a surprise to God. God knew, he planned, he purposed for that baby to be born on that date. He determines the beginning of our life. He determines the end of our life. He has a date set for each of those things. Now, we may know, we, we talk about somebody's death or birth, well, about their death. We all know people who have, who have received a, a, a good outlook, a good prognosis. They've received the best medical care possible, and yet they continue to decline. We also know at the same time people who, who received a dire di- uh, prognosis, a bad diagnosis when they went to the doctor. The, the doctor said there's nothing else we can do, and they made a miraculous recovery. Listen. God has a date set for our birth and for our death. And you think about a... Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm kind of weird, and you all know this, but the other day we went to Branson, and Scarlett and the kids did the Polar Express train. And while they were doing that thing, I went out walking. And I happened upon an old cemetery. And so, being the person that I am, I decided to go into the cemetery. And I began to look around. It was, it was one that had ceased being used. They had people that, were, that died back in like, like the 1860s. I mean, it was, it was an old cemetery. And as I looked at those things, you know, on, on each of them, there's, there's a birth date and a death date. And usually there's a dash in between. And I, I looked at those, those, those headstones, and I thought to myself, what was that person's life like? And I, I considered all the things that they daily life that they were concerned about and now people don't even know they existed and all those things that were once so important to them they're they're meaningless now and i, I apply that to my own life but anyway that's a whole another story but just think god knows not only the the day of your birth and the day of your death but he knows all the days that are in that dash he knows all the days of, of your first birthday and, and, and your first kiss and, and who you're going to marry and who you're going to like and where you're going to work and he knows where you're going to live he knows all that stuff and not only does he know it, does, he doesn't have a passive knowledge of it. He is involved in each of those things. The Bible says that before we were ever formed, all the days that were ordained for us were written in his book. That's a poetic way of saying that God knows it. He's involved in it. He's part of it. He ordains it. Nothing happens to you that catches God off guard. Now I mentioned 2020 earlier. And I, I've, I've come back to that several times in, in different sermons just because it was such a, for lack of a better term, almost kind of cataclysmic on, the, on a global scale, just the way it changed culture. And I remember it happened in March. We had spring break. I was working at SPS at the time in the IT department, and I would go into the libraries, and I was doing the repairs and stuff like that, the Chromebooks. And, and one of the librarians was there at uh, one of the middle schools, and I was talking to her. And they were starting to shut down some of the schools. And we had, had a discussion, and I said, I don't think they'll shut it down. In retrospect, that was foolish. But I said, I don't think they'll shut it down because, you know, we had 24, 25,000 kids, and so all the families that would be affected, I thought, there's no way they're going to shut that down, going to disrupt everybody's lives. It's not going to happen. And then when they did, 
it was a big surprise to me. And it was probably a big surprise to you when many of us, I didn't get to, but many of us stayed home. And we were, we were cordoned off from everybody else. And we you know, worked from home or, or did whatever it was in that situation. That was a surprise to me. But listen, not one second of that was a surprise to God. God knows both the good and the bad that's coming into our lives. He has, he has ordained it. He, he, he knows about the best times. He knows about the worst times. And the good thing is he is already there. And he'll provide for his children what they need. The last thing I want you to see is in Romans eight twenty eight, And that is that God works all things for the good of his people. God works all things for the good of his people. Now, I want to point out just at the outset, this is a limited promise. Sometimes you may hear, sometimes you may even say this to a non-believer. But listen, this is not for the non-believer. This is a promise specifically for Christians. Notice he, he, he says that this is for those who, are, who love God and are called according to his purpose. The unbelieving person, the unredeemed person, those who are far from God, they do not love God. They are in rebellion against Him. They turn from Him. So this is a promise for believers. And what a, what a precious promise it is. The preacher from yesterday, of yesteryear, R.A. Torrey, called this verse a soft pillow for the tired heart. And indeed, there, there's, there's a large measure of comfort in this verse because in life... Have you ever noticed that when you get a raise, you don't quote this verse? When, when, you, when, when something good happens in your life, when you get a raise, when, when you get a good prognosis at the doctor, whenever you're getting along with your family, you have money in the bank, the kids are doing well, the grandkids are doing well, you don't say, oh, God causes all things to work together for good. Why not? Because we cling to it when the bad happens. We quote this verse... Because we want to know there's a, we, we, we cling to the hope that there's a purpose in the pain. It's not just a useless, senseless pain. And listen, bad stuff is going to happen even if you're a believer. We all suffer tragedy. We all suffer loss and disappointment and heartache and all the rest. And this is a precious promise because it says that God is going to bring beauty out of those ashes. God will work in even the worst, dire circumstances and he will bring good into our lives out of it. You think about Joseph in the Old Testament and his brothers. You remember chapter 50, I believe it was, they come, and Joseph finally confronts his brother, tells him who he is and, and all the stuff, and, and he has a, a heart-to-heart with him. He says, you meant what you did for evil. And what they do? They sold him into slavery. They, they stole his coat, drenched it in blood, took it back to, to dad and said, oh, we found this. Joseph must be dead. So men to slavery. I mean, terrible things. They meant it for evil. God meant it, same word that's used. He purposed it. Same, they, they meant it. They purposed it for evil. He purposed that, that same act for good. He worked in the bad and brought out good. And likewise, he'll take our pain, our suffering, and, and he'll use it for our good. He'll show us the fleeting nature of life. He'll show us how foolish it is to trust in anything besides Him. And He'll take our pain and He'll use that to shape us and mold us into the likeness of His Son. In other words, He gives meaning to suffering. 
It's not a useless or a senseless suffering. Now, this is not denying that bad happens. Bad, that bad does happen. But this is saying that there's a purpose behind that pain. It's not beyond his control. You will not go through whatever it is for one millisecond longer than is needed to accomplish God's purpose and plan in that. And if it's, it's come to you, realize it's gone through his filtering fingers before it ever hits you, before it ever comes into your life. Now, many times we don't know what that purpose is, at least not initially. But as we go into 2024, in those pa- painful moments that, that each of us is probably going to face, again, I don't know the future. Maybe none of us will have any bad happen in 2024. Wouldn't that be great? But we all know the likelihood of that is basically zero because we live in a fallen, broken world. But in those, in those moments, let us seek to learn what we may, may learn in those situations. Now, I know that when I preach a sermon like this, it seems to have like a negative feel, right? Because it's actually a positive thing, but it has a negative feel because we're, we're thinking about, you know, bad that may happen and heartache and pain and all these things. And don't let tomorrow's clouds steal today's sunshine, okay? Don't, don't do that. We don't need, uh, Jesus said, each day's got enough trouble, so you don't, need to, you don't need to borrow tomorrow's trouble. That was a, a paraphrase. So don't, don't, don't get down because of this. But, but listen, life, we, we focus on this bad that, that may happen, but life isn't all bad. You think about all the good that's happened to you in 2023. You think about the, the friendships that have, have formed, that have deepened. You think about maybe new life that's coming to the world. You think about all these, all the good that's happening. And, and the good and the bad are often intermingled, even in the same situation. And there's going to be a lot of good. There's going to be a lot of bad in the coming year. But through it all, God's in control. What did Jesus teach in the Sermon on the Mount? He said not even a, a, a sparrow, a little bitty bird, not even a, a sparrow falls to the earth without God's knowing. He said he knows the very numbers of the hair on your head. And I say in parentheses, if you have any. He knows the very numbers of the hair on your head. He is involved in your life. And he can supply every need that you have in Christ Jesus our Lord because he does whatsoever he pleases. Therefore, when we go to him in prayer, we can pray in confidence knowing that there's nothing that we can pray that's too hard for God. We need to trust in Him, trust in His goodness, trust His sovereignties, because we read it this morning. His mercies are new when? Every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I want to encourage you to consider whatever it is that you have in your life, what you have on your heart, that you need to pray about, some situation that you have that's a burden to you, a heavy weight that you have, bring that to the Lord. The Bible says to cast your cares upon him. Why? For he cares for you.
God does whatever he pleases. He sits in the heavens. There's no one like him. This has been specifically geared to believers, but listen, it it may be that even today, you don't know Christ as your Savior. You know that you're far from him. Say, well, I don't know if it's God's will that He saved me. The Bible says that God commands all people everywhere to repent. That means you. If you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. While it's still called today, trust in Christ. Heavenly Father, we uh, we. Thank you that we can trust you, that we can count on you, that we can cast our cares upon you, that there's nothing that is too big for, for our God. That you do whatever you please, you answer the prayers of your people. And even, even when the nations rage and they, they devise a vain thing, that you rule over all. God, for those needs that we have in our hearts, we lift those up to you and cast our cares upon you and trust that you will carry them, that you will bear bear us up under those weights, that you will answer our prayers according to your will. And Lord, if there's somebody who needs to accept Christ as their Savior, I pray that you'd let them do that today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.